This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts as you speak to us today, that we would respond to what you have to say to us. And in Jesus' name we ask, Amen. The first reading is from John's Gospel, from chapter 15, from verses 12 to 27. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. If the world hates you, beware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. Servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. It was to fulfill the, writ the word that was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let's pray as we look at God's word together. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> well, Christians are citizens of two places, a citizen of earth and a citizen of heaven. 
And that's why Paul starts this section of Philippians in the way that he does. Our reading said, "Live your lives worth, sorry, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ." But another way of putting it that better captures it is, "Live worthily as citizens of the gospel of Christ." Live worthy as citizens. So the challenge today is to live as true citizens of the gospel, even while living in citizens of, as citizens of the world. Now, the Christians in ancient Philippi were also dual citizens. They were citizens of Rome, which meant that they owed their, their full allegiance to Emperor Nero. But they were also citizens of heaven. Their ultimate allegiance was to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And the real test for them came, and it comes for us, when our allegiance is tested. Will you live for Rome or will you live for Christ? But it's not just Rome, is it? Now, the Philippians were part of all sorts of different communities and backgrounds that pulled them in different directions. Many had been pagans worshipping at the altars of Roman emperors as well as the Roman gods, Jupiter, Juno, Minerva, Mars, Artemis. Others of them were Jewish too and, and they also, others, well they all worked and lived in their local communities and in their commercial communities, all of them putting different demands and pressures on them, pulling on their Christian faith in one way or another, vying for their allegiance and even attacking them for their faith. We too, we're also pulled in different directions by belonging to different communities. We're Australian. We're many of us Sydney-siders in the eastern suburbs. And in their own ways, these different communities, these citizenships, vie for our allegiance and sometimes even attack our faith. Our local community, our school communities, where you went or where you send your kids to school, your professional community, education, business, medical, legal, your ethnic community, or even your interests, golf, the golf club, bridge, nippers, kids' sport. All of these things can vie for our allegiance. And so the point is this. Our allegiance to Christ, our citizenship of heaven, is always tested. So with that challenge, how do, you, how do we live worthily as citizens of the gospel of Christ. Paul gives us three things to do in this passage and three things to know. Three things to do, three things to know. And so the first thing we need to do is to stand united. And he says there it's being about being united in the spirit. Uh, end of verse 27. I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, one of the incredible things about the gospel is that it's not just about you and God, uh, but that his spirit unites us together as well. When you trust in Jesus, we all receive God's Holy Spirit in each of us. And because we all have that Holy Spirit in us, we are all united together, brought together as one. And so Paul urges us, if you want to live worthily as a citizen of the gospel, then you need to live in a way that expresses that unity. And this is especially important because our different communities and allegiances not only can sometimes threaten to pull us away from God, but they can also threaten to pull us apart from each other. But we can't let that happen. 
We can't let our different views on things especially pull us apart. And with things being so political, Christians of every political stripe, for example, need to be united in the spirit. We can't give in to bitterness or infighting or self-righteousness about this. We need to be able to have liberal voters, national voters, sitting next to Labor voters, Greens voters, and not just silently tolerating each other, but actually working together, loving each other, speaking graciously to each other, and doing life together. And it's the same with our ethnicity. As Anglicans, statistically, we're not so great across ethnic divides. We need to work really hard to be racially and ethnically open and sensitive if we want to express real unity in the spirit. But even more generally, our eastern suburbs subculture is at the pointy end of an extremely individualistic and busy culture. And I think this is somewhere where we, where we can be really countercultural and make actually by making time for each other, for others to share in each other's lives. Now, in some ways, the lockdown makes this harder because we, we can't meet together, we can't be with each other. But in other ways, it, I think it kind of makes it a bit easier for many of us. We just don't have the same social or community commitments that we've had. So why not make the most, if you can, and make the time to reach out to express that unity together in the gospel. If we want to live worthily as citizens of the gospel of Christ, we need to stand together united in the spirit. And the second thing to do is to strive together for the gospel. And the word here is about being fellow athletes together, like at the Olympics. As we're pulled between these allegiances to Christ and the world, we need to struggle together for the sake of the faith. I was watching the men's, the K2 men's kayaking on Thursday, and boy, what a struggle that was. The two 22-year-olds, Jean and Tom, with some of, I've got to say, some of the most rippling arms and shoulders I've seen in my life, and they were in complete lockstep. It was like they were robots, like machines, complete lockstep, utter determination on their faces as they strove for the finish line and won gold. Striving together for the faith of the gospel means straining like this for the cause of the gospel so that the good news of Jesus grows and spreads in our city. And we talk about being transformed by grace at St. Mark's, but this transformation, it's not just something passive that we just sit back and enjoy, but it also has a purpose We're transformed by grace to love one another, to serve the city, and to share Christ. And that's what this striving together for the gospel of Christ is about, sharing Christ. Now, it's easy to love what St. Mark's is doing as a church, you know, Alpha and kids and youth and even Michael in the media. But there's a difference between cheering us on and actually putting on the boots and joining the team. We need to strive together to share Christ. It's the only way that we can do it. People sometimes say to me, Sir Mark should do this or Sir Mark should do that. Now, I'm always open for suggestions, don't get me wrong, but Sir Mark's isn't just the ministry team. 
St. Mark's is all of you. It's all of us. And so we share Christ when we run Alpha and other courses. But Alpha would never happen if you didn't talk to your friends about Jesus and come along and bring them with you. We share Christ when we give to mission projects. But that could never happen unless you actually give as you do. And we share Christ in our kids and youth ministries, but these would never happen if you don't get involved. We share Christ in our Sunday services, but they don't happen unless, apart from so many of you as well. And the most powerful way that we see people coming to Christ in any of our ministries is when you reach out to them. And bring them, share them, say, come and see. Come and see Jesus Christ. We're already a church that strives together for the gospel like this. But I think we have potential for so much more. Like those kayakers striving and straining for the finish line. Striving together for the sake of the gospel in our city. The third thing to do as worthy citizens of heaven, is to not be afraid of opponents. Some of the communities we're a part of um, are really quite welcoming, quite happy about us as Christians. Others maybe just might just smile politely and be okay, but others can be really frightening. When I was a kid, I played rugby league for the first time when I was about five or six, and I don't remember much about my first game, but I do remember this. <laughs> I, remember sta- I remember receiving the ball and looking up and just seeing these, what looked to me like these massive kids running straight at me. I was terrified. So you know what I did? I turned around and ran the other way. People on the sidelines screaming, run the other way, Tim. I, yeah. My family never let it, let, never let it down. <laughs> Sometimes things happen to us that make us Christians want to turn around and run the other way. Or at least hide. Hide our faith. As the world seems to bear down on us. The Philippians had opponents too. It's not exactly clear what was happening to them. Maybe Nero's officials were harassing them. Or city leaders or power brokers in the trade guilds for doing family life differently for doing business differently. And the risk for them was to be intimidated and hide their faith. So what is it that intimidates you, that makes you want to hide, to turn around, walk the other way, and hide your faith? Paul says that whatever it is, don't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is Lord and not them. So don't be afraid of secularists who want to change the census or lawyers calling for churches to pay back JobKeeper or people who want to take SRE from schools or people who want to silence Christians or pick out every little fault. Don't let them intimidate you. Jesus is Lord, not them. So that's three things we need to do to live as citizens of the gospel. Stand together united by the Spirit. Strive together for the sake of the gospel. 
and not be intimidated by our opponents. But three things to know, three things to know so we can navigate our dual citizenship. The first thing to know is that standing firm in the gospel is evidence of your salvation. When people attack you for your faith or you feel intimidated by what's happening in the world, it can be really disorienting. It can really shake your faith and eat away at your insurance. At, sorry, eat away at your assurance. At your, at, at your feeling that, is this really the right way? Am I on the right path? Does suffering do that to you when you see the church attacked? When people you love dismiss Jesus? When people sneer? When some Christians walk away from the faith? That stuff can really shake me up. I'm tempted to ask, well, is it all true if these things happen? But Paul says that the very fact that you keep standing is proof that you're saved by God. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. Your endurance as a Christian is evidence that God is answering your prayers for help. Your perseverance is proof that God's Spirit is in you, giving you the strength that you need to keep going. So don't lose your nerve, because the evidence that you've kept going so far is evidence that you are saved and that you're on the right track. The second thing that Paul wants us to know is that suffering is a gift from God. Look at verse 29. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Granted you the privilege. Have you ever received a gift that you just really didn't like? You open it up and your heart sinks and you kind of start to surreptitiously look for the receipt so you can take it back. Well, isn't this suffering exactly that kind of gift? How could suffering for Christ possibly be a gift? And if it is, how could, loving, how could a loving God give it to us and expect us to like it? Now, I don't think that Paul's being dismissive or flippant. He knows that suffering isn't good in itself, and it's not the way that things are supposed to be. And meaningless suffering, like a terrible accident or debilitating disease, is especially difficult. So what could Paul mean when he says, that suffering is a gift. Well, I think he means that suffering, especially suffering for being a Christian, can bring unexpected gifts with it. It strengthens us because it tests our resolve and it gives us an opportunity to be really authentic in our faith, to trust God even when it's really hard. And it teaches us too about our limitations, about our mortality, our ultimate helplessness before God and humility and to see what's really important. A few years ago, this wasn't suffering for being a Christian, but I, I, I had this persistent pain for about 18 months. I was hurting most of the time. It was a really hard time for me. I couldn't be active how I wanted to. I couldn't play with my kids in the way I wanted to. I felt I felt weak and helpless, and I didn't know when it would stop. Thankfully, uh, thankfully, 
out of God's grace, I was able to come out of it. But that experience taught me really deep lessons that I hope I never forget. It taught me that being a man was about so much more than having a strong body. It taught me about my limitations and mortality. It showed me how to be a great friend as my friends did things like slow down to walk with me or change their plans for my sake. And it gave me, I think, just a small glimpse into the pain and disability that many people face. So perhaps I might be a greater comfort to some of you. Now, I can, I can speak about my own suffering in that, in that way as a gift. And I think it's up to each of us to be able to identify. I can't speak about how your suffering is a gift for you. But it's up to each of us to identify ways in which the suffering that we've experienced, and especially the suffering we've experienced as a Christian, has actually taught us valuable things like this. The third thing to know about living as a citizen of the gospel is that if the Apostle Paul suffered, then so will we. In verse 30, Paul says to the Philippians that you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now you might think that being a Christian should make life easier. I think being a Christian should make life uh, better but that doesn't mean the same thing as it being easier. Because being a Christian means following a crucified leader. Our Lord Jesus Christ was rejected, beaten and crucified. And he said that if anyone's going to follow him, then they should expect to take up their cross to do so and expect to die daily for his sake. And that's what Paul did. This man who once persecuted Christians withstood the most severe suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He was imprisoned. He was countlessly flogged and beaten nearly to death. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Dangers from treacherous rivers and bandits. His friends turned on him. His own people turned on him. He went without food. He went cold and naked not to mention daily pressures and stress that he faced for the sake of Christ. And so it has continued for Christians through time. It was true for Thecla, Christianity's first female martyr, who was burned, attacked by animals and chased down to her death. And it continues for Christians today, like in Libya, where Christians from a Muslim background face violent and intense pressure to renounce their faith. Or Christians in China, where the government surveils Christians and controls churches. And yet, those Christians throughout the centuries and all over the world have stood up under it. And if they can stand up under it, if Thecla did, if those Christians in Libya do, if those Christians in China stand up under it, then we can too. You can too. Well, we're citizens of two worlds, of heaven where the gospel of Christ binds us together and of the world with all our different communities that pull us and the different allegiances that we hold. 
This is the world where we live and serve and do good, but our ultimate allegiance is to Christ and his gospel. So don't be afraid. Instead, let's stand united and strive together for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our world, and for the glory of our God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.